Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is Friday, September the 10th, 2021. Two headlines, maybe three. Consume, will consume conversations today. Um, One of those headlines is going to be President Biden's new COVID plan. We're going to talk briefly about that here. Flights resumed yesterday out of Afghanistan, Afghanistan, um, but only some flights for some people and from one airport. And so we're going to uh, spend some time talking with David Eubanks, who is on the ground in one of the stands, we'll find out which one, uh, seeking to assist those who are uh, leaving over land, because that's how most people leaving Afghanistan are getting out today. Um, And then we're going to spend the rest of our time today talking about 9-11. This is the eve of the 20th anniversary of September the 11th, 2001, a day upon which events changed our lives forever. And even if you don't recognize the ways in which 9-11 changed your life, it changed your life. It changed the world you live in. It changed how we see one another. It changed um, how we think about security and how we think about um, just how much intrusion will allow into our individual lives in order to have the perception of being safe. So uh, let me just briefly comment on the president's new COVID plan. It is posted at whitehouse.gov. That is where I would recommend you read it, whitehouse.gov backslash COVID plan, because no matter where else you read it, you're going to read some spin about it. I find the timing of the president's speech yesterday uh, strange, at least. He certainly could have waited another couple of days and allowed those of us who already had lots of programming planned related to 9-11 Um, And so you're going to see everyone who did pre-planning for the 20th anniversary of 9-11 run that programming, which means that those news sources, those outlets will not be uh, paying a lot of attention on the air to the president's COVID plan, which is just it's just bad timing um, for the president to have done what he did yesterday, in my personal opinion. The language that I think for Christians we need to be paying attention to is the language of what I'm going to call bodily autonomy. So for those of us who are pro-life, we have heard the claims of my body, my choice a lot. We have heard the claims of bodily autonomy um, a lot, and we have heard it from people who are claiming that abortion should be uh, a right. And so I just want for Christians who are listening to pay attention to that language and be careful how we use it in the context of a conversation about vaccine. And I'm going to call them vaccine mandates. I recognize that it's only a vaccine mandate if you're not willing to be tested over and over and over and over and over again. Um, And let me just say this. No matter how you feel about the president's new COVID plan, it's not permission to behave badly. This is an opportunity for public witness, as is everything else uh, in the life of a Christian. 
All right. uh, We're going to pivot to a conversation now with David Eubanks. You will remember him if you have been listening long. He uh, is from Free Burma Rangers. We have talked with David in the past about the way God is using him and his family and the organizations that have grown out of their efforts on behalf of forcibly displaced people around the world. He's going to talk with us today about what's going on in the Middle East. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. thankful right now, not only that the gospel extends to all the corners of the earth, but that we have a friend in Tajikistan this morning. David Eubanks joins us. You can find David at freeburmarangers.org. David, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. God bless you. Well, God bless you. Tell us um, where you are and what is happening where you are. Well, we're in Tajikistan. And we, you know, we came out of Burma. Our, most of our teams were there. And we we're on our way to Syria when the whole Afghan emergency occurred, which was a disaster for so many people. And we were been involved trying to get people to escape to the airfield. And some did, but many did not. And so now we are in Tajikistan in order to go, go down into the northern part of Afghanistan to, one, help people who need to get out, get out. And second, to bring in humanitarian relief to pockets of resistance or pockets where people have fled and need food and shelter. So we haven't even gone in yet. We just got here. This is our third day here. And we're praying to God, God, how do we get in there and help? And so right now we're meeting friends from on both sides of the border, trying to find ways to help. But whatever we do, we want to be ambassadors for Jesus in it. David, let's um, let's just pause right there, and I am going to pray, and everyone listening is going to pray um, with me. Father, make a way where the way is not yet evident. Um, open open the pathways, uh, bring forward the relationships, show David and his team how to get the resources that people so desperately need across that border into their hands for their relief, and then God, open a way for people to get out. Um, We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, Carmen, that's so wonderful. And whoever's listening, thank you for praying. Because that's the only way it's going to happen with God. And the only way it's going to work is with God all through it. So thank you. That was unexpected and a huge boost. Um, It's one of the few things that I can do, David. I can elevate voices like yours, and I can uh, lift my hands and bow my head and my knees before God and and plead and plead for um, things to change. So you have been doing what you're doing now. You have been doing it in other spaces and places around the world for a very long time. God uniquely prepared you 10 years in the U.S. Special Forces. Um, and, and since 1993, you have been basically doing what you're doing, but in places all around the world. So remind people of, of, of what you have done in Burma. Maybe give us a Burma update, and then I want a movie update as well. Thank you. Well, we've been in Burma since 1993, and basically since my wife and I were married, all our kids were um, raised in the field. My son, Peter, the youngest, was three weeks old when Karen carried him in, you know, holding on to my backpack, no lights to avoid the Burma army. Burma's a 72-year civil war. They just had another coup this year. We have 200,000 people in hiding, but we've got about 100 teams 
These are five-person teams all over the conflict areas of Burma that give help, that's humanitarian help, hope, reminding people God loves them, and getting the news out. And so that's ongoing. And then about in 2015, at the height of ISIS, we were invited by some friends, one man in particular, Victor Marx, who has a ministry. He said, Dave, you, your group has no real rules. You don't, you don't look at danger as the first thing. Can you bring some of your medics over and help the people under attack by ISIS? So we ended up in Kurdistan, northern Iraq, and then in Iraq, in the Battle of Mosul, and then in Syria. And we've been to Afghanistan a couple times, just as a family visiting missionaries here that were here, but never working here until, until this, you know, the Taliban got the country and this disaster unfolded. Then now we're involved again in whatever way we can be. So what we're trying to do here is what we do in Burma, Iraq, and Syria is one, be ambassador for Jesus, two, get life-giving um, and life-saving help in and treat wounded and get, and then in this case, get people out who, who think, whether they're Christians or people who work with the U.S. government, who think they'll be killed if they stay. And, and Carmen, it's not just those people. I even, and let's say an 18-year-old girl who grew up without the Taliban, who says, I want to be a free woman. I want to be a teacher. I want to maybe be a lawyer. Maybe I want to be on radio. For, for her, too. If she doesn't want to stay, we want to get her out. And so we can't do any of that without God. But these, these different places in the world um, are working now. But the movie, the documentary that came out and is coming out again on Monday in the U.S. on the 13th is called Free Burma Rangers. And it's focused on Burma and it's focused on Iraq. And I think the thread of the movie is God loves us and he has things for us to do and help each other. And in a way, it's kind of like the story of the Good Samaritan. You, you can walk by someone and leave them because it's not convenient or it's dangerous, or you can take that risk and say, God, am I doing this because of love? If, if it's if it's because of fear or pride or hate or comfort, then it's probably not of God. But if it's for love, it probably is of God. And so, Lord, do you want me to take this step of love? And I think that's how it encapsulate the movie. It's about people, not very good people, not very expert people saying, God, we surrender to you. How can we help? And in our case, we were led to Burma and then Iraq and Syria and in Sudan and now in Afghanistan. And we're, we're doing as we can to stand with people and remind them God is love and you, you count, you count. So that, the movie's about that. And I, I'd encourage people to watch it. It's not boring at all, but I didn't make the movie so I can say good things about it. And it's true. So my family went um, the first time that uh, Free Burma Rangers movie was in theaters and I can personally highly recommend it as well. Um, it, is, it is sticky in that you, it will stick with you. Uh, you will become mindful of things that you had never known were happening in the lives of people. It will take you into um, the realities of the the very real danger that people live in the midst of and how they function in the midst of all of that uh, and how God sends his people alongside. Um, and so it's it's excellent. I highly recommend it. You guys can check it out, freeburmarangers.org. David Eubanks is going to um, be here uh, right after the break, and so don't go anywhere. We're going to catch up on what's going on um, in his family and also invite him to make some observations and reflections on this eve of 9-11. We'll be right back. Throw me like a stone in the water, watch the mud rise up. Dress me like a lamb for the slaughter, pour me in your cup. All right. Thank you to those of you uh, engaging with me on the text line this morning. Remember, you can always text during the show, 877-933-2484. Yes, I feel confident for those of you texting in 
that David Eubanks is connected to what Victor Marks is doing in relationship to the commercial task force. Um, if you're not familiar with that, you can check it out at Victor Marks. That's with an X, victormarks.com backslash Afghanistan if you want to get some direct updates um, there. Um, David, talk with us about um, people, you know, immediately want to know, like, okay, gosh, Peter was three weeks old, and you've got, we know you've got girls. The last time we talked with you, you guys were exploring colleges. My guess is they're in college now. You know, kind of just give us an update on your family. Well, thanks. And, yeah, our kids have all grown up with us. You know, that's what you want with most families. And every conflict area has families. And so we take our kids because, one, we we love being with them, but also we think it's the best life we can give them. And they've learned generosity and bravery and love and the value of all people. And I, in, you know, in Sudan, the, the leader of the Nuba Mountains said, oh, you brought your family. It means you don't want anything from us. And in Iraq, you have your family here. You must think American families are equal in the sight of God to Iraqi families. And then they, the Kurdish Minister of Defense, oh, you brought your son, your most precious thing. I give you my most precious thing in my country. And then in Burma, hey, bring your children to meet our children. You're not going to say, no, my children are more important than yours. No, we're all the same. And so my kids, you know, aren't purposely at the front line in the fighting, but they do have a role where other families are. And they've grown up that way. And if you ask them, where's home? They'll say Burma. And my, my daughters rode armored ambulances in the Battle of Mosul because they could drive stick. And some of the guys couldn't. And they were 14 and 16. But, you know, there's a lot of farm kids younger than that that drive tractors. So it's, it's kind of what America did when we went across the West. It wasn't soldiers that really took across America. It was families. And so we've enjoyed that. And now we've got two of our girls, Sahaley and Suzanne, 20 and 18, in their second year of college. And they're at Texas A&M studying nursing and veterinary medicine, one each. And they're both on the polo team because they love horses. And they're, they're pretty aggressive riders. And we got ready to come here to, to Afghanistan for this mission. And the girls kind of teared up and said, you kind of like, you can't go without us. It's dangerous. I said, well, now you know what a parent feels like. And well, I said, pray. What do you feel God wants you to do? And both said, you know, Dad, we, you know, we want to go, but we know God has us finished school. So they're finishing school. And we miss them. But we really feel good knowing they're in school. They, it's very hard for them. Um, but they're, 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 they're passing and they're going to Bible studies, and they're riding horses and playing sports. And so we're really happy for them. And my wife, mm. every morning, sends scriptures to them. She sends by WhatsApp, you know, messenger service, little scriptures every morning. And they send scriptures to us. In fact, the devotions we did this morning as a team were from my daughter, Suzanne. And it was about turning the other cheek. Anyway, um, they're doing well. My son, Peter's with us. He's 15. And he homeschools or backpack schools. And he's, he, he runs our communications and he's a he's 15 years old he's basically a little man so um they love they love the life you know i don't know if you had a chance to talk to them but they they thank god for this life they're in i'm really grateful you know people told me what your kids become teenagers you have problems they didn't what did they become 20 no in fact we're even closer that's just a gift from god they're better than me you know i was a quite a punk they're not punks so i'm just grateful that's a tribute to my wife well, it's uh, thank you so much for sharing. I I know there are hearts leaping right now with with joy and um and and no small measure of jealousy. I mean, I it's it is it is wonderful. And thank you to Peter, who I'm sure is making this possible right now. I'm sure he's the guy who made sure that you yes. could 
uh, I'm using his power us, bank. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he sets my so, phones up and dad and he also dad, dad, you had to, you're late. So, yeah. Well, hats off to Peter. Thank you so much, Peter, for helping make this happen. Um, prayers for uh, for your girls at Texas A&M as well. Uh, it, I just I it is so encouraging to talk with you, David, and to celebrate the ways in which God is using you. But then also to ask what we can do to tangibly support you and your teams that are in places and spaces where most of us will never set foot. So in addition to prayer, um, in addition to going and seeing the movie Free Burma Rangers, which people can find at freeburmarangers.org, it's going uh, to be in theaters here in the United States of America uh, on September the 13th, which is Monday. So go ahead and check it out, freeburmarangers.org. You know, what are what are other things that you feel like people in the United States and around the world who are not in one of the stands today? What can we do um, to support those who are? I think, you know, prayer. You, when you prayed for me at the beginning of this program, and I'm going to do it right now because you run out of time. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for Carmen. Bless her in every way she needs. And the things she can't fix, I know you can. So Satan, stay out of her business. And Lord Jesus bless and protect her and lift her up in her family and all her relationships. And Lord, those who are listening, I just want to thank you for this, for everyone. Those who have been following you a long time or those that wonder about you. I thank you for all of them and bless them in Jesus name. Amen. Mm, And yeah, we'll keep praying for you. And I, to answer your question, um, I think prayer, when you prayed just now, I thought, wow, God really wants this to happen because now Carmen and others are really praying. And I think prayer is the key. Um, and then we, then we can move forward and go the right ways. I think also, you know, talking to your representatives about whatever issue, in this case, helping the people of Afghanistan. You know, and I think also the, the U.S., I mean, the main problem in Afghanistan is the devil, not people, not even the Taliban, it's Satan. And, and, then, and then you have this conflict between the Taliban and the rest of the people and the U.S. government. And you can debate if we should have pulled out, pulled out or not, but we can't debate the way we pulled out was just horrendous. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was just w- ill-conceived, poorly planned, poorly executed. We left people behind. It was, it was cowardly in some cases. It was terrible, but you know, I've done all those kind of things. Maybe at a different scale. We've all made mistakes. We've all poorly planned. We all left people behind in our lives. We've all betrayed people in one way or another. I mean, sinning against someone is already betraying them. And so I guess what I want to say to the audience is, if you don't like what happened in Afghanistan, the people responsible in the U.S. government don't need condemnation. They don't. None of us need condemnation. They need conviction. I need to know I did something wrong. I can say I'm sorry. Then I need to be inspired to do the right thing. So I don't want to attack our government. I don't want to attack anybody. I just want to say, help me and others admit we didn't do this right. Let's apologize. And how can we fix it? What can we do? How can we help these people that need to get out? How can we help get help in? And I think that's true of almost every case. So we don't want to be adversarial to people we disagree with. You know, America is a family and you don't have to agree. And if you don't agree, you shouldn't pretend to agree. But we need to respect each other because everyone's made in God's image. And then you fight over issues. You know, I heard you talking about COVID and mandatory this and mandatory that. Yeah, stand up for what you believe is right. Stand up for your God-given freedoms. But there's a fine line between standing for your freedoms and condemning people mm-hmm. and let God convict them of their sin. But you stand on the ground he gave you. You've got to stand on the ground he gave you. Make sure it's 
the ground he gave you. And I just appreciate your stand for, for human freedom and consistency and, and every life, every life. You know, one time I was standing outside in Kurdistan talking to a, a, a family and they talking about how many kids ISIS killed after the battle was over. Mm. And the wife leaned over, whispered to the husband and the husband said, my wife wants to say something. I said, what? You Americans kill more babies than, than the ISIS ever did. And that's true. That's actually a true, provable fact. I was kind of shocked. You know, we look at sometimes other people's sins as the worst. But what are we doing? And so, I, again, we don't want to be down. We want to just confess what we're doing wrong and say, Jesus, forgive me, and let's move forward together. And if you can't agree with somebody, let God convict them. I mean, because we don't have the power to do that. We only have the power to obey and do what we're supposed to do. Like Martin Luther, finally, I can stand, here I stand, I can do no other. You do what Amen. you need to do. Um, Amen. And so I, hey, I think, anyways. David, we have, to, we have to leave it right there. Um, I have a recorded conversation okay. following this with a, with a 9-11 survivor. And so I'm so, I, but I love talking with you. We love what you're doing. Um, you guys need to check out freeburmarangers.org, the movie, fbrmovie.com. Um, David, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for getting people out and for getting help in and for reminding us um, that it's about conviction, not condemnation. What a blessing. Thank you so much, my brother. Give your give your love and affection and assure your family and your coworkers of our prayers. I will, Carmen. And I forgot to mention, I wrote a book called Do This for Love, Free Burma Rangers in the Battle of Mosul. You can look at that too. And it's about love and you're about love. Amen. So thank you. And Amen. I'll pass it on to my family. Amen. Please do. That's David Eubanks. Please find him at freeburmarangers.org. We'll be right back. Next up, we're going to talk with Keith Stevens. He is the morning host on 98.5 KTIS, which is Faith Radio's music sister station in the Twin Cities. So this is a recorded conversation with Keith because he's actually on the air right now over there on KTIS. So Keith was there on 9-11 just across the river in New Jersey, and so he's going to share with us his reflections. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. When kids are little, they respond well to clearly defined commands. When they grow up, however, they begin to resist taking orders from mom and dad. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you have a teen in your house, you already know what I'm talking about. Kids don't like to be told what they should have done or what they need to do better. When teens are wrestling with new issues in life, they seldom respond to a lecture. Many times repetition at this stage of development only reminds them of how they failed or missed an opportunity to shine. Constant nagging, correction, and badgering often just pushes them away. So back off a little. Most of the time, what's really needed is a listening ear. Mark Gregson is devoted to helping parents of struggling teens. For more helpful parenting resources, go to ParentingTodaysTeens.org. ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Why, God, do people have to die? All right, it's a privilege and a joy to have a colleague with us this morning, Keith Stevens, who is the morning host on our sister station, 98.5 KTIS in the Twin Cities. Keith, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be on with you. Thanks for having it, me. 
It's really fun to have you, um, even if on such a serious day. So mm-hmm. 20 years ago, 9-11, yes. 2001, yes. you were at WKTU in Jersey City, New Jersey. So what was your experience on September 11th? Well, I remember the morning, Carmen, just like it was yesterday. And I remember heading into work down Route 23 in northern New Jersey and then over to Route 46 and over to Jersey City, which is right on the Hudson River. And the office that I shared with my office mate, what was really neat about it is the windows to our office overlooked I mean it was a direct view of the World Trade Centers so I was heading into work you could see the smoke in the sky it was probably around nine o'clock and as I saw the smoke in the sky everybody was driving very slowly on the highway and I was on the phone uh, with my wife at the time saying my goodness there, there's all this smoke in the sky, what's going on? So that was my experience driving into the office. And then, of course, when I got to work and went up to my office, I had a direct view of the Twin Towers and what was going on there. Mm. I, I remember my office mate told me that when she was watching what was going on out the window of the first tower on fire, then she said she saw another plane that kind of came close, and she said, oh, gee, look, there's another plane coming by. They're going to look and see what's going on, or they're getting a closer view, or maybe, you know, something. And then, then she screamed as the second plane went into the second tower. Mm. I stood there just watching both towers burn, and I, I couldn't believe my eyes. And we really did have a—it was a front-row seat at the worst horror movie you would ever want to see. Mm. So, Keith, when, um, you know, when you think about then going on air, when you think about talking to people in the community, when you think about not just witnessing it, but then covering it and ministering in the midst of it, what was that like? The first thing was I remember standing uh, downstairs outside of the building at a uh, hot dog stand and there was a vendor there. And I can recall people pouring out of the subway station you know, who had just come back from the World Trade Centers, and they had soot all over them. I remember one man in his, uh, with his suit on and his uh, briefcase coming up out of the bottom of the subway into New Jersey, you know, to get, to get out of Manhattan, and many, many other people. So we stood there huddled around a little transistor radio next to that hot dog vendor as the towers were burning, and we were listening to the radio to see what is going on. And I remember uh, praying for people, and also talking to people who came out of the subway station at that time and being able to uh, hear their stories or share hope with them. Mm. You know, Keith, um, and again, we're talking with Keith Stevens. He is the morning host at our sister station, 98.5 KTIS in the Twin Cities. This was a national experience, but depending where you were in the nation and depending whether or not you knew someone or had someone in the city at the time, it was a very different experience for people right there in the community versus those of us who experienced it at some distance. Um, I'm wondering what it was like, maybe not on that day, but over the course of time as the nation and even the world responded to the pain that you experienced there in, um, in New York and New Jersey. So here's how it affected our community. We lost six people in our town. Um, it was heartbreaking. There's a monument in the, in the suburb where I lived in New Jersey to those who were lost. And I remember going home that day um, early from work. Like they closed the building because we didn't know when the next plane was going to hit. We didn't know. And so it was very traumatic, even to this day. And I remember um, going home that day, maybe around noon, and I went to my 
son's elementary school. We had a son in second grade and I think kindergarten. And I said, I would like to take my sons out of school and just hug them and hold them because of what I just witnessed. And they said, oh, no, we will not let you take your sons out of school today. And I said, but I want to get them out early. It's 12 noon. And they said, well, we can't let you do that. And I said, why? And they said, well, you have to understand, Keith, that some moms and dads are not coming home today and their kids don't know it yet. So I can't let you take your kids out and let then they'll know what's going on. And if the word happens to get out to the other children before we've had a chance to tell them. Mm. Now that's real and that's tough. And I want to tell you, it is a moment that I'll never forget. And there were a few children who did not have their dad come home that day. And it was haunting then to hear some of the songs on the radio. And I was at a mainstream station at that time and it looked right across the river at the uh, Twin Cities. But to hear songs like in a New York minute or Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's and some other songs that are on rock radio, for example, that all of a sudden rang true to the New York experience. They are precious people in the New York, New Jersey area, and I love them very much. And I did have a chance to be on radio for many years on Christian radio at Star 99 um, just about a year later. And of course, I share that experience with my listeners all the time because we all lived it, experienced it. You can rebuild the buildings, Carmen, but you can't replace or rebuild the lives that are lost. And I have to say that people call it a tragedy. Mm, It was an attack. It was an attack on our nation, and it was tragic. But a tragedy is when you're driving down the road and the road and the road curves, but the driver missed the curve and the, and the car goes off the side of the road or somebody gets injured or, or loses their life going down a, an embankment that they didn't intend to. That's tragic. Planes being flown into buildings is an attack. And one other story to share with you, the engineer at the station I was working at goes up. If you ever notice on the Twin Towers, tower number one has a huge antenna at the top. You ever see that? And whenever they show uh-huh. the, the um, video footage on television, especially this time of the year for the 20th anniversary, they show both towers, and one of them has a huge antenna. Well, our radio station that I worked at, that was their antenna. And so yeah. the engineer would always go from New Jersey over to the Twin Towers on Tuesday mornings to go operate and work on the transmitter and uh, do some work up there by the antenna up on, I think it was the 106th floor of tower number one. So it was Tuesday morning and he was on his way over from the subway from New Jersey over to New York City. But he stopped and had a cigarette before he went into the World Trade Centers. And he has a funny line because he always says a cigarette saved my life. And so he did not go up in time. You know, he did not go up at the usual time he would have to work on the transmitter. If so, he wouldn't be with us today. Wow. Keith Stevens is sharing with us his personal experience and reflections of being in New Jersey um, on 9-11 20 years ago. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Picking up in our conversation with Keith Stevens... He is the morning host at our sister station, 98.5 KTIS in the Twin Cities. We're talking about his experience of 9-11 on this 20th, I don't want to call it an anniversary, um, on this 20th time in which we remember again. 
um, what for so many people just seems like yesterday. And we're talking about the events of 9-11 and how it changed each of us and all of us. So, Keith, again, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you, Carmen. I really appreciate being a part of the show today. Thank you. So you talked about, you know, your engineer who should have been up there on the 106th floor adjusting things related to that iconic antenna that we all see in the photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, a line, a line as simple as a cigarette saved my life. I'm wondering if there are some particular moments that stand out to you. Maybe, I mean, the the one about someone at the school telling you you can't take your your boys out of school because there will be other little kids whose mom and dad won't come home that day. Like, I, I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. revisiting that moment in your heart and mind over mm-hmm. and over again. I'm, I'm wondering if there are other moments as well, maybe even some God moments along the way. I remember churches being packed again. Mm. Mm-hmm. I remember Wednesday night, churches being full, and Thursday night and Friday night of that week, and people coming together, it was like we bowed our hearts and our knees before God, crying out. I also remember that on the subway, because I rode the subway a lot, and I remember whether I was on a train in New Jersey or a subway in Manhattan, all of a sudden, this is great, all of a sudden, white people, African-American people, people of all walks of life were now one. Mm. We were now one. Like in the past, if I sat next to a person from a different walk of life. We, you know, nobody really says anything to anybody anyway on a train or a subway in Manhattan or New Jersey. It's nobody, like an elevator. Right. Nobody really speaks to anybody. All of a sudden, we were one. We were brothers and sisters. We would hug and, and talk. And it's like out of the suffering, out of the pain, out of the disbelief came a closeness with humanity that we had not experienced, at least in my generation. And it was the first time that I had really seen that happen where where we were just like, we're together as one. And there was no more black and white. You know, there was no more, there was no more, it seemed like the racism thing, if there was any, did not exist at that time um, because we were all Americans and we were all coming together. I remember that clearly. The churches were full. Um, the flags would fly over the overpasses, over Every overpass in New Jersey, I remember the Brooklyn Bridge, people walking for miles home from work that day, people trying to get out of New York City in order to uh, be able to get back home if they didn't live in the city before they shut down the the um, Lincoln Tunnel or that kind of thing. So I remember all that. But the ministry part uh, really was the church as a whole. How could we do something for those who lost loved ones, for those who knew people who were lost? And every day in the New York Post or the Daily News, they would print uh, pictures of every person who was lost in the Mm. Twin Towers. And I remember my office mate and I looking at that every day. I mean, this was something that consumed you morning, noon, and night. There was nothing else because it was our community right there. And we all knew people and heard stories of those who unfortunately lost their lives that day. You know, you're bringing back so many um, memories for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, churches, you know, t- churches in the community where I lived were also full. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, people, you know, as, even as you say, your experience there on the subway in New York, people who were random strangers, you know, moments before are no longer random strangers. Like there's a shared, there's an acknowledgement of our shared fragility and our shared humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. And yes, there was a sense that we had a common enemy 
and we were together in this thing. I I was at an event uh, the weekend following um, that John Lewis was um, supposed to be talking about racial issues in America. And instead, what he talked about was the reality as he looked around the room filled with a majority of white faces. You know, he just looked right at us and said, you know, we may have arrived on different boats, but we're all in the same boat now. And and we have forgotten that in the subsequent 20 years. And the the never forget part of 9-11 that I want people to maybe hold on to this this day, this week, this year is is that like there are some things we should never forget. We should never forget that we were on our knees because we were broken and afraid, but we were also on our knees because we were reverent. We we recognized our smallness and God's greatness and our need and his um and his saving grace and we recognized that we were all in it together and it, it would be helpful today for people to never forget some of the things of nine eleven that are redemptive notes. It's so true and there's so much we can learn from uh that day and from never taking a, a day of your life for granted that we are so fragile and that um, there's a bigger plan for our lives than just to be happy and, you know, make money and do that kind of thing. It's like, what are we mm-hmm. destined to do? And I think that's what it made us pause and think about as well is what, it, what is God destined you to do? Because, you know, don't quit because there's somebody who needs you mm. who you haven't met yet in your life. So don't give up. And I think you can quit a job, but never quit your calling. And so whatever you're called to do, do it because God is preparing you for that intersection with people um, that you maybe haven't even planned on in your life. So on those, on those days after 9-11 and on 9-11, there were a lot of hugs and tears because we would read about people in the next town over who lost 46 people. Mm. Our town lost six. But this was every day you'd hear about where people uh, had lost loved ones. And, of course, having been to the World Trade Centers many times, and my father would work, he worked across the street from the World Trade Centers. He watched, he watched those World Trade Centers get built and go up in the late mm. 60s and in 1970 and 71. He watched them go up. I watched them come down. Mm. And I feel like um, everybody knew somebody. And we remember sitting at windows on the world and having breakfast a brunch one day and uh, looking at the beautiful view. So you can kind of picture then what, what a nightmare, what a tragic way for people to lose their lives. And you can picture what it was like because you've been there. And so for the people, of the New York, New Jersey area who are precious people of God, we love them with all our heart. And those who suffered loss in all other parts of the East coast as well in Washington, DC and in Shanksville, Pennsylvania and beyond. But, um, but it is certainly a day to say, Lord God, we're thankful for the gift of life. How can we help those who are still suffering loss? Uh, the common phrase is move on. You know, we've got to move on or just keep moving forward. People who are ill or sick or maybe uh, overcoming different illnesses, it's like, well, I've got to move forward. I don't think that's enough. I think moving forward is part of it. But really, it's Jesus, where are you in the midst of this? God, what can you teach me in the midst of suffering? What what gold pieces can I learn from this? Uh, my wife and I are going through a challenging time right now, health-wise for her. And I'll tell you, Carmen, we have learned the most golden, beautiful moments of our life, as tough as it is, have been through the suffering times, you know. So before we're quick to say, let's move on, 
I think we have to be in the moment and be present and be mindful of what Jesus wants to show us now, today. Mindfulness. Not living my life on rewind or fast forward, but on play. Kind of like the old cassette decks from years ago. (laughs) That's a good image, Keith. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for joining us today. You guys can hear Keith each and every day on uh, his morning show um, over on our sister station, 98.5 KTIS in the Twin Cities. Um, Keith, thank you for reflecting with us on your experience of 9-11 and its ongoing importance in our life today. Thanks so much, Carmen. I really appreciate you. And thanks for letting me be a guest today. And I will just say, if those people who had witnessed 9-11, they still do feel some PTSD from it. I mean, it's tough. For those people who are still suffering and remember, you can rebuild the buildings. You can't rebuild the lives. So pray for them, lift them up, and pray that God's peace, presence, and um, His grace fill their hearts and their homes and that they will experience in Him on this 20th anniversary. So helpful. We'll be right back. Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? All right, as you're reflecting today on where you were on that September day, let me encourage you to remember some of the things that we promised to remember, but maybe things that we have forgotten. And so return there today and take others with you who maybe weren't there at all. I'm very aware that we have an entire generation of young people who do not remember 9-11 20 years ago because not only were they not born, they weren't even like conceived of in the imagination of their parents yet. So um, recognize that. Think about that. Anybody who's under about 15 has no uh, no cognizance whatsoever even of our sort of a living memory in the nation because, you know, five years in, we had pretty much moved on. And so I just want to be mindful of that today as you, um, as you go about uh, the things of the day. There are going to be a lot of people who live as if 9-11 was yesterday because for them, it's always yesterday because they lost someone and the world changed for them in ways that it will never be normalized again. And so let's just be mindful of that. Let's be sensitive to that. Let empathy run deep today. Let tears flow. Put your hand over your heart um, and acknowledge that uh, it was a unique day and we are unique people. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.